Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Salazar, Chair of the Department of Pediatrics. I want to welcome the, all, the, all the families, friends, the staff that are here for this very special Grand Rounds. We're trying a new format, uh, which is in line with, with our uh, uh, CME accreditation, which means that we have to engage our families, our community, uh, and as a one team. And I think this will be the first one that we do it this way. This is going to be very interesting. We have a very large crowd today, so I welcome everyone. And I'm going to pass this on uh, to Dr. Ching Lao, who's the head of our Division of Hematology and Oncology, who will introduce Dr. Borokov, and then Dr. Borokov will take on the show. We have CNN, CBS, uh, not Fox, uh, uh, that are joining us today. So, uh, Ching, if you can take this on and do the introductions. Okay. Go. I'll, I'll go you? up there. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, I am, but I have to remote up here. Uh, once again, thank you for coming to uh, this morning's Grand Rounds. Um, is it on? Oh, sorry about that. So once again, welcome to this morning's Grand Round. Um, September is a very busy month for pediatric hematologists and oncologists um, because Oops, goes too, go too fast. So, as some of you might know, September is the uh, Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, uh, as well as the uh, Sickle Cell Disease Awareness Month. Uh, so, we can't do two grand rounds back to back. So, we will reserve the oncology uh, grand round uh, until sub uh, December. So, stay tuned. But today, we want to focus our attention on sickle cell disease. Um, last year, we also did a similar grand round uh, by inviting an outside speaker to go over the latest advances in uh, sickle cell disease research with us. But we felt that we also need to hear from the patients themselves. So about six months ago, we started planning for this grand round and decided that we will use a panel uh, discussion format, which is uh, technically challenging, <laughs> uh, as you could see, to uh, make such arrangements on a relatively small stage. But uh, we managed. Uh, we hope that everything will work well with all the uh, AV equipment, etc. cetera. Uh, but it's important for us as healthcare providers not just to focus on the disease itself, but how the disease is impacting our patients. Uh, as well as their family members, especially for chronic disease like uh, sickle cell disease. So today we have the opportunity to hear directly from the patients about their experience living with um, uh, sickle cell disease and also from their family members uh, to give, their, give us their perspective as to uh, how to uh, live with such a disease uh, that could be uh, uh, quite um, complicated. So. Uh, to lead our discussion today is uh, one of our faculty members, Dr. Donna Borokov. Uh, so I will say a few words about Dr. Borokov, and then Dr. Borokov will introduce the uh, panelists for us. So Dr. Borokov uh, 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 went to uh, Cornell for her undergraduate training, and then subsequently went to uh, SUNY in Brooklyn for her medical training, and then did her residency at uh, Montefiore Hospital and her uh, hematology oncology fellowship at uh, uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering. Uh, then she came to us uh, in Hartford 
and has been here uh, with us uh, since the, uh, 2004. Uh, currently, she is the medical director of both the um, sickle cell disease program as well as the uh, uh, hemophilia treatment center program as well. So without further ado, I would now turn over the podium to uh, Donna, just to remind people uh, that if you are uh, from outside, uh, you are welcome to join us later uh, for a breakfast up on the fifth floor where the uh, hematology oncology clinic is. And by the way, I forgot to mention that we do have quite a few outside uh, guests in addition to the family uh, that we invited on the panel, and that is uh, members from the Department of Public Health who are with us uh, this morning, as well as uh, members from the Hospital for Special Care who uh, partnered with us to uh, help take care of these children with sickle cell disease, as well as the um, Sickle Cell Disease Association of America, the uh, Southern Connecticut chapter. Uh, they all have representatives with us this morning. Thank you for your presence. I'll turn over the time to Donna. Good morning. Um, thank you everyone so much for coming, uh, especially all of our outside guests, and thank you to everyone who uh, helped us in planning this grand round. It's really a, a team effort, which is a lot of what we'll be talking about today. Uh, we're a team with our families and our patients. Um, so I have no uh, disclosures. So today's grand rounds is an opportunity for all of us to slow down take a look in the mirror, and remember why we're here today. Why did we choose to go into healthcare? And what are we trying to accomplish every day? Um, so today we have the honor and the privilege of listening to the patients and the families themselves sharing with us uh, their stories to help us do a better job uh, at what we do. Um, to me, these four powerful words really embody how we approach our families and communicate and collaborate with them. Hope is essential. There's no way any of us could do what we do every day or see what we see every day without the hope that things will be better in the future. Um, and we, we hope for improvement in the care of all of our patients. Kindness, empathy, and integrity are what we strive to um, treat our and if we, if we hold hope, kindness, empathy, and integrity in our hearts, we'll do our best in taking care of patients. Um, so for at Connecticut Children's, as you all know, we are very uh, focused on family-centered care. And these are the four core principles of family-centered care. Dignity and respect. We listen to and honor our patient and family perspectives and their choices. Information sharing. Uh, we communicate and share complete and unbiased information with patients and families, and the patients and families receive timely, complete, and accurate information in order to effectively participate in their care and their decision-making. Participation. Families and patients are encouraged and supported in participating in their care. Collaboration. We collaborate with our patients and families and hospital leaders in uh, program and policy development, implementation and evaluation, in the design of our healthcare facility, in professional education, as well as in the delivery of care that we give to patients. So sickle cell disease 
is um, an autosomal recessive genetic disorder. It's a chronic illness with acute exacerbations. Because of this, it's a good example for the discussion of opportunities for improving our communication and collaboration with our patients and families. Um, so sickle cell disease affects the red blood cells and can lead to a host of complications. You may hear some of our patients and families talk about some of these complications in describing their experiences. The clinical uh, presentation of sickle cell disease is quite variable, and no two stories are the same, so we must pay attention to um, the individual. So here at Connecticut Children's, we care for patients from newborns to young adults, at which point we do transition their care to adult hematologists for their ongoing medical care. So today we're going to speak to a range of patients and families with sickle cell disease about their varied experiences. Um, so we have a panel of patients and families who are going to uh, share their stories with us. And first we have two uh, videos to show some of the patients we uh, pre-recorded their thoughts. Um, so to, we'll go to the video now. So to introduce the video, um, we, the first one is a young child, a seven-year-old Chloe and her mom. Chloe was diagnosed with, newborn, with sickle cell disease on newborn screening. She's seven years old. She has had um, very few complications from sickle cell disease. She takes daily medication. Um, so we have a little clip talking to her and her mom about what, it, what it's like living with the illness. And then the other uh, video that we have is two young adults with sickle cell disease, Jonathan and Casey. Jonathan is here in the audience. The two of them met each other um, through having sickle cell disease and both have had a lot of challenges and complications from the illness. Um, so they talk a little bit about how they, how they deal with that. So we can go to the videos. Do I push anything? Hey, this is one of our um, little girls who is living with sickle cell disease here with her mom. Do you want to introduce yourself? I'm Emma Chloe Johnson. I am seven years old and I was born in 2011. Mm. And I'm Chloe's mom, so, Chelsea. Um, is there anything you do every day because you have sickle cell that other people don't do? I take medicine every night. And Normally, I have to watch TV and drink a lot of water. She was tested on uh, newborn screening, correct? Yeah. So newborn screening is in um, all, it's a statewide screening that's done in all the states in the United States to identify infants with sickle cell disease so that we can intervene early and help the parents keep, keep their children healthy. Um, how did you feel after you got that phone call? Like, my world was ending. It was a very, very bad time. And it wasn't just because of that call. It was because Chloe was a preemie, so I couldn't even, like, I wasn't with her at the time. Mm -hmm. She had to stay in the hospital for an additional two weeks after I went home. So there was a lot going on. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot. It was scary. How has Chloe's course of sickle cell disease been in the last seven years? What kind of things have happened to her or Chloe has actually been pretty good I mean we had one episode when her spleen was enlarged and she was about three I think and she had 
got a blood transfusion and she was here for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. um, but besides that, like, she gets colds and like every other child and that's what we really have had to deal with. Just well, I'm those. with every other child. Well, no, you are definitely, you are one you in are a million. So when you first learned that your baby had sickle cell disease, mm -hmm. how did you come to terms with that? And how did you, as she um, came out of the hospital, came home and was growing as an infant, how did you come to terms with the diagnosis? And what did you do to take care of your daughter? Um, I think I was in denial for a little bit. I mean, for a while, and a lot of research trying to see if oh, there was like a misdiagnosis or something like that. But um, I think after a couple of months, it kind of it kind of hit. And mm -hmm. you know, I think it was when probably when she was when she started taking the penicillin. So I forgot how young she was at that point. But then when I knew she had to take a medication every day, it kind of that's when it hit. So one of the things that we want to impress upon um, the medical care workers who are here at our Grand Rounds, some people who have experience with patients with chronic illnesses, some people who don't, what kind of advice would you give people in um, helping to take care of someone who lives with an illness every day? Um, how, how, how can we help? Your child and your family. What things are the most important to you? I think, actually, I think you had told me this too. It's like she is still a child. She's still your baby. You don't really have, you don't treat her any differently. I mean, she has sickle cell basically, but sickle cell does not have her. Yeah. So, um, I mean, really, Chloe is just like any other, like she told you, she said that she had actually got perfect attendance. She hasn't missed a day of school oh. since she started school. So she got an award for not missing school in like what three years. It's amazing. <laughs> she started. It's really great. Um, she she just knows when she's tired, when she needs a break, when she needs water. Mm -hmm. But um, but as for like the healthcare workers, like talking to parents, basically just reassure them that it's gonna be okay. I mean, there's gonna be hard times, but it's gonna be all right. <laughs> when we had first found out, it was like you do a lot of self blaming. Because it's like, I mean, essentially, I guess, I mean, it was, came from me and you feel bad and you feel bad as a parent. Then especially since I have an older child who didn't even get the trait. Oh. So it's just like to the opposite end. So you really do feel bad. Mm -hmm. But, you know, having another child didn't come from a bad place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's not like we intentionally did this. Chloe, is there, do you know what advice is? Yes. Is there any advice that you would give to people who are just learning to be doctors and nurses and social workers before they know what they're doing? What would you say, like, you know what you should do? It's this. You should read the book, I'm Just Like You, because there's stuff you should do. And it teaches you, like, you're not the only person in the world like this. Yeah. And smile. There's nothing worse than someone looking sad for you. Right. And it's like <laughs> making you sad. Or yeah. you can make friends with everybody like me. Oh, perfect.
Can you um, think of things that healthcare workers have done or said that have made you feel confident in their care of you? Well, for one, there was this um, doctor who moved recently, um, Caitlin. Um, she used to come to my room and she would just sit down and have me just talk and she would just sit there and listen. It didn't matter what we were talking about or what I was saying, she would just sit there and listen. Even if I poured my heart out about what I was going through and how depressing it was, it's it's things like that or or nurses or PCAs or doctors coming by your room doing something silly just to put a smile on your face. Yeah. It's so listening, it sounds like you're saying listening yeah. to you is really important. I completely agree. Honestly, just having somebody to be able to take time out of their day to sit down to listen to what you have to say and like really listen, is it's, it's heartwarming, honestly. And it puts a smile on our faces knowing that, what's it called, there are people out there who actually care, people who actually want to help. And some, like, people told me before that everything's gonna be all right, everything's gonna be all right, just take it one step at a time. At first, when I was younger, I didn't really believe it because I was in so much pain. Mm -hmm. But as I grew older and as time went by and as I understood more and as I started to communicate more, things actually turned out all right. Because at the end of the day, every single day we are in a battle. And despite being in a battle every day, we do not give up under any circumstances. What would be one thing that you would want other patients to know or what, what is something that means um, a lot to you? And a while ago, my mom had told me hope um, and she, she said, hold on, pain ends. Yeah. Um, so that's what's been that's what's been getting me by, and that's that's just my my like not mantra. The word doesn't want to come to my head now, but yeah. it's a very powerful saying. Hold on, pain ends. Yeah, hope. So I think what I'm hearing from both of you is the importance of seeing the whole person and treating the whole person. Yeah, um, communication is key communication and not prescribing medicine based on the illness. Yeah. Really seeing seeing your patients and their families as um, as a whole. Communication. I go I keep going back to communication because it is honestly very important. So um, what's it called? If it seems like they are a hundred percent sure about their evaluation uh, or if even they might be asking a question, and that's okay, you know? Uh, asking questions yeah. is great, because at the end of the day, uh, people get to learn things. And in turn, tell them everything I knew uh, about sickle cell, and they can in turn tell me everything they know, and yeah. pretty much, you know, we can learn off of each other's, you know, um, basis of our understanding of sickle cell. It's okay not to know. Yeah everything yes. and yes. we're a team and we're working together Definitely. with your experiences do you have any bit of advice that you would like to impart to 
um, people who are beginning their careers as healthcare providers in um, how they could take care of you. Well, first off, not to judge a book by its cover, like Jonathan said, um, just because you don't see us in pain physically doesn't mean we're not, mm -hmm. we're not hurting. Mm -hmm. um, we've, we've been living with this all our lives, um, so we learn how to cope with what we're going through. Um, we've learned how to deal with the pain, we've learned how to distract ourselves, but um, just because you don't see it on our face doesn't mean mm -hmm. it's not there. I personally would say, you know, to to add on to what she was saying, you know, um, what's it called? A great distraction is, you know, a great way to help with sickle cell, you know, because one of the main one of the main symptoms factors of sickle cell is pain. And so what's it called, you know, a, a good distraction like watching a movie or playing mm -hmm. a game or even talking to somebody is a great way to help help that situation when you have that trust when you know that you can call on somebody here for help because you know that they will come and help you because that's that's what you guys do you guys are great at helping others and honestly we're truly thankful you know because if it wasn't for you guys we'd be miserable honestly yes <laughs> yes all right group hug group hug group pound oh, something thanks <laughs> Okay, so now we'll move to our lives panel, if everyone wants to just come up and sit around. Um, so I think the videos really came out great. Um, Jonathan's here, but we'll have you, you can stay there for now. So we're gonna go through each person and, and talk a little bit, help them share our stories, share their stories, so we can kind of get an idea of what um, our patients are dealing with every day. And then we have a little bit of time for uh, questions if, if when people have questions here's water for everyone and I don't know how to turn this on. okay yep it's working um, so I thought we would start with Kendra I have questions I was gonna ask you so <laughs> you're on the spot um, so her son is Amari he was not diagnosed with sickle cell disease on newborn screen because he has a very unusual hemoglobinopathy. Um, so can you tell us just a little bit about his medical history and how he came to be diagnosed? So when Mario was, I would notice that Mario would be in pain a lot. I mean, when he was a baby, he'd cry a lot, but I thought, you know, it was a lot of teething. When he was about two, all of a sudden, like the day before his second birthday, he stubbed his toe and he, was, he wouldn't stop crying. And then shortly after that, he got a fever, and then he just kept crying and crying. So I took him to the emergency room because I couldn't figure out what was going on. He wouldn't eat or drink. And it was a lot of back and forth. No one knew what was going on. They took labs. No one could understand. And I used to ask, could this have anything to do with a sickle cell trait? And this was something that was going on for years. Like literally, he, all of a sudden, every three to four months, he'd be in pain. It would be a limb. It would be a stomach. And I keep bringing him back and forth to the doctors, and no one could really tell me what was going on. And I just kept pushing, are you sure? Because it really sounds like it's sickle cell. And um, it, he didn't get diagnosed until last year, um, like the middle of last year. And this was after many hospital visits, many hospital stays. He had transfusions. He had many crises. But, um, the, and they 
we're testing him for other things, um, but it basically it was it was a, a lot of advocating for him, and I kept pushing, and that's how that that was basically it. Mm -hmm. So for the audience, so he has um, her son has a. Uh, hemoglobin S along with another unusual hemoglobin, which is why we didn't, we didn't diagnose the sickle cell on newborn screen. Um, and we were only able to definitively make the diagnosis last year because of our wonderful Dr. Lau, who uh, suggested sending for special genetic testing of the DNA, which testing that wasn't available um, only a few years ago. Um, so how so you lived so many years not, not without a name of what he had or why something was wrong. How did you feel after there finally was a diagnosis? I mean, at first, it was more of a, see, I told you. <laughs> but then, I mean, reality hit me. And I was like, wait a minute, no, no, take it back. He can, he, I don't want him to have this. Like, I, you know, I did a lot of research along the way. I just, I just kept reading it. And then I was just, you know, it, it was, it's been difficult. It's, it's, it just, I just had to, I, you know, talk to people um, like Shonda. I met her. Um, Dr. Borkoff has been great. Nancy has been awesome. Um, so, um, a lot, I mean, I, we've gotten used to it, um, mm -hmm. so it's okay. I think it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a different and remarkable story because it's not the way we usually have um, sickle cell disease now. Usually it's diagnosed at birth and we're talking about it all the way along and here is a child who had all the classic signs and symptoms and despite all of us putting our heads together, we didn't, it took us, to, it took us a while to come to the diagnosis, um, which is hard for everyone. And we, we, I think as you're saying, we're all in it together. She could, certainly be like, I am never going to these people again. They don't know what they're doing. But she has stuck with us and we've worked together and we're um, figuring it out from there. Um, so next, uh, Javon and Shonda. So this is a wonderful uh, older adolescent, younger adolescent, I don't know what we want to call. <laughs> wonderful young man with sickle cell disease and his mom. Um, so I guess one of the one of the questions we wanted to talk to you guys about is um, community awareness of sickle cell disease. I think a lot of times when we meet newborns with sickle cell disease, families don't know much about the illness. It's rare enough that people may have heard of the name but don't really know much about it. Um, what have you done to help increase awareness and how has that helped you guys in dealing with the illness? Well, um, we were kind of privy to sickle cell in our family, mm -hmm. um, both on my husband's side as well as mine. Uh, but I wasn't aware that my cousin actually had SS um, until after my son was diagnosed and he was diagnosed in vitro. Um, so once we became part of the CCMC family when he was about a year and a half, um, I wasn't aware of all the things that will come with the sickle cell, so I had to quickly get my bearings and start doing my homework. Um, and then we start finding out about um, the Citizens for Quality Sickle Cell Care, and then um, just talking to
the clinic, I realized there was not a lot of information about sickle cell. Um, and then those that live with it are silent about it because they're ostracized because of it and they're treated a little bit differently. Um, so I became um, an advocate for sickle cell and I asked my church to help us as well. Um, so we do um, a luncheon every year in September and we invite the community to come in and we have a panel of um, individuals that live with sickle cell, whether it's SS, SC, the trait, um, and we have questions asked from the community about sickle cell. Um, and we do the walks and we do all kinds of social media stuff and wherever we're asked to go, we go. So we do panels, um, well, I've done panels as well um, to bring the awareness out there because there's not enough information about sickle cell at all. Um. And Javon, what do you, um, so sickle cell disease can, as we've seen, it can have a lot of different complications and not everyone has those complications. How does sickle cell affect other, other issues? Um, asthma, learning, other uh, develop, growth and development. Um, uh, so earlier on the slideshow, I'm sorry. Uh, there was a bunch of complications mm -hmm. that she put on the board, Dr. Borkoff put on the board. And um, one of them was, uh, yeah, cognitive behavior disorder or something like that. Uh, and basically that's just uh, more or less like a learning disability and it kind of uh, challenges my ability to like think properly in certain situations and certain environments. So in school, sometimes it's harder for me to get problems done or solve things faster than other people because of this disorder. Um, other things, sickle cell affects other things like daily life, like because of the fact that I can't go outside in certain temperatures uh, below, I believe it's 45, 40 uh, degrees and higher than I'd say like 80 degrees, those are when my body can go into crisis and I can't go outside in those days because then I'll go into crisis. And all the time back in elementary school, my friends used to ask me, why can't you go outside? And I would always tell them because, you know, I'll get sick, sicker than you, and you wouldn't understand, but just know that I'll get sick, I'll be fine. But yeah, um, is there um, and how did you, mom, how did you learn about these, the different things that can happen with sickle cell? Um, I basically learned from just everyday life. Mm -hmm. um, one minute we were dealing with, because um, he didn't start having crises until he was like four or five years old. Um, we were actually getting ready to go to a Make-A-Wish and he just started screaming, crying and wouldn't stop. And that was our first um, time we dealt with a crisis to that magnitude um, and then we had a family member pass away and we had family coming to visit from everywhere and he was literally sick with everything they had um, he had all kinds of infections and he was in the hospital for a couple weeks and we had to do transfusions and it was just like every time I turned around was something new to learn um, and then when he started getting older having complications in school and me looking at him just as a normal kid, it's like, why can't you get your homework done? Why is this so hard for you? What's the problem? 
Um, and then um, he spoke to me sometime last year and said, Mommy, do you ever have brain fog? And I'm like, um, we all do, but what do you mean? He was like, the teacher could just tell me something and I don't know what she means or I forget what she said like right after. Um, and then he started dealing with depression. Um, and he had moments where he told his dad, you know, I just don't want to take, I just want the pain to go away. And um, so we started dealing with all, pretty much everything that was on that board, we dealt with the spleen enlargements and um, just everything. So last year we had him diagnosed um, with the mild cognitive behavioral disorder. Mm -hmm. And immediately I had to go back to the schools to tell them we got to change up his learning style because now we see why he's been failing the last two years. Um, but this wasn't something that we knew could happen based off sickle cell until we got the, um, the testing back. And it was a long, long explanation to where it was just like, I just need the nuts and bolts. I don't understand all these other medical terms. Um, and to sum it up, there was like, just because of the whole oxygen deprivation and it can cause you know um, their brains to have moments where they do lapse in um, thinking and memory. Um, so we've gotten him a tutor to start him off this year so that he can finish his senior year strong. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you bring up a really good point about advocacy and self-advocacy. That's what I'm hearing from everyone. This is an illness that our families are living with every day. It's unpredictable. Um, the complications can really be unpredictable, which I think is very hard to live with in terms of planning your life. Mm -hmm. um, so next I wanted to ask, Brandon is a young adult with sickle cell disease who did transition to adult hematology care, but thankfully still very involved with our program. Um, and he's had a lot of hospitalizations and serious complications and comes through with a big smile on his face. Um, so what things have helped you through the rough times? Um, the things that have helped me through the rough times is definitely my support system to begin with. Um, I think I can talk for everybody that's up here, whoever has sickle cell, they need to have a support system. Um, and that support system can include, you know, family members, friends, um, being out in the community. Um, because if it wasn't for my support system, the times where I felt like I couldn't be good enough to do something or the times where I would talk to my dad in pain and be like, I can't do this anymore. Um, it was during those times where my support system really came through for me and um, told me, you know, everything's going to be okay. This is just, you know, a temporary situation and things will get better. Um, so I definitely believe having a support system um, meditation actually helped me out a lot. Um, I worked with Dr. Zemsky um, with the pain team and I learned some tools, I guess I can say, to cope with sickle cell. Um, and that helped me out during some bad times too, so. Mm -hmm. um, when you think of communication with your healthcare team, what kind of things are there any kind of tips you can give for helpful things or not helpful things that have happened? Um, in terms of communication, I would definitely say um, definitely listen to the patient um, because not every sickle cell patient's story is the same. Mm -hmm. 
And I know for me, not every crisis was the same. Every time I had a crisis, it seems like it was a different type of pain rather than the same pain all the time, all the time. Um, so for me to try to articulate that to you know, my doctors and my nurses and try to kind of explain it, is in when, especially when you're in pain, it's kind of hard to explain your pain. Um, so it took me a while to kind of really advocate for myself um, to learn exactly how I can explain my pain um, so that then my doctors and my medical team can eventually help me the best way that they knew how. Um, and Dawnette, who's here, so she, her uh, daughter is a young adult with sickle cell disease who um, also has had a lot of hospitalizations and complications from sickle cell disease. And her mom, as uh, are everyone's family, by her side all the way through. How have things changed as your daughter has grown from being a newborn who's in your arms and in your sight to going to school, to, go, to moving on in life? How has your role changed in helping her with her healthcare? It hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> She's still an arm like the umbilical cord is still. But seriously, it, it <laughs> I have I am learning to let go. Um, she's a young adult, as you said, and she she went away to college for for a minute there, and I had to let her go because, like I think um, in the interview, um, the mom and the daughter, where she said um, she has sickle cell, but sickle cell doesn't have her. Yeah. That is true, and um, Danny will tell you that she has sickle cell, but she's not sickle cell. So I am learning, we're in the process, it's, it's a process, um, to let her go and let her make decisions, but I have also, I, I, I would like to believe that I have prepared her well to make these decisions. So she um, knows how to advocate for herself, but I'm still behind her, the still small voice still encouraging, and when she can't do it for herself, I'm her voice still. I think you, you make an interesting point. When we talk about all these complications, you have to be vigilant. As a parent, as a healthcare provider, you are constantly looking and in fear of something terrible happening, but you have to, go on, so it's, it's a balance of how do you balance those two feelings and, and let go and still live your life. Um, what kind of things have helped you and Danny when she's been very ill? Well, I'm very um, spiritual. Um, church is a big part of our lives. Prayer is a big part of our life. Much of our support system is the church and my immediate family. So um, when Danny is sick, like everybody stops what they're doing. I mean, she's 22, we've been doing this for 22 years, but um, most recently she was in the hospital about three months ago. And I remember one of the doctors in the ICU saying to me, she's really well loved. And I looked at him, I'm like, what? Because that's not something that you hear. And the doctor said, 
I have counted 27 family members in this. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, she's really well loved. And she was in a coma, she was on a vent, so all my family was present. And not just my blood family, church family, friends from work, everyone kind of rallied around us. So as Brandon said, that support system is really, really key. It's really key. Mm -hmm. um, so next I wanted to ask Shaja, so his son, where'd he go? There's a one-year-old running around and also an older son, so two boys with sickle cell disease, um, and you yourself. So I was wondering, what are your thoughts about sickle cell disease, about the future of this illness? How are things different now than when you were a child? So basically, when I was a child, um, it wasn't very knowledgeable to me or my family, so nobody really knew how to deal with it. But when I've gotten older, I've learned what it was, and I understood it, and I've learned how to take care of it. But um, when I was younger, not too many people knew what sickle cell was, especially inside of my family, because it was Sorry. nights that uh, it was nights that um that I've went through pain, and my grandmother didn't even know what to do. So now it's amazing what uh, the workers have done for my child, for both of my children. So it's improved a whole lot. It's a lot has been made. Hopefully, we get to the point where we could just take it away and nobody has to deal with it. Because I've been dealing with it for 33 years. Um, ups, downs. You got to basically play mind games with yourself. So you could distract yourself from the pain. And it takes a lot of mental strength to deal with that. Um, and how, how has your older son, how is he, what has his course of the illness been? Uh, Sair, um, he was born with it. He's eight now, so we've been dealing with it for eight years. The first four years of his life, I didn't put him on hydroxyurea. So he was uh, going through a lot of pain, and once we put him on hydroxyurea, his uh, sickle cell hasn't been as bad as it was. So thanks to hydroxyurea and the knowledge that I have that I could keep his uh, pain under control. Yeah, and I think that goes back to hope. Um, sickle cell disease and the course of sickle cell disease today in, in general is so much better than it used to be. That little girl who's seven years old with severe sickle cell disease, no school absences, unheard of. Um, so it's, it's amazing the progress that we have made, but we have a long, long way to go. Um, and clinical research is really one of the most uh, important things for making progress with the illness. Um, 
so there, there is unbelievable hope in the sickle cell disease community. Uh, genetic therapies to cure this illness are closer and closer to becoming a reality. There are trials in adults with sickle cell disease. Um, bone marrow transplant or stem cell transplant. Some of the challenges with that have been the toxicities of the treatment and the availability of donors. Um, we actually have a patient of ours right now who is, I think about day 18 after getting a transplant from his sibling. Um, and that patient is in the hospital and, and doing well so far. So um, he will be cured of sickle cell disease. And in terms of medication, hydroxyurea is a wonderful medication for the patients that it works for. And there are several other drugs, uh, very promising drugs that are being developed now for sickle cell disease. Um, I think one thing that I'm hearing from everyone is that we're not alone. As healthcare workers and as patients and families, we're all working together uh, to live with this illness. Um, so I think we're supposed to be going to questions. Does anyone have specific questions? And Jonathan, thank you also for coming and being in our video. Or if there's no questions, if anyone has something they wanna add and talk about, we'd be thrilled to hear from everyone. Hello. So first of all, thank you very much for sharing your, your story, your, uh, the good things that have happened, the bad things, and, and just letting us know how, how it feels to have sickle cell to be a family member and a parent, uh, and we really, really appreciate it. Question I would have for the group is, is what can we as, as an institution, Connecticut Children's Medical Center, do better for you? And be frank, we know you love us, but, but tell us, <laughs> you know, what, are, what, are the things, what are the things that we're not doing so that we can actually improve? Um, in terms of CCMC, I don't think there's anything, speaking specifically from my family, um, that can be improved upon. Um, I mean, we've had instances where he used to come in and get um, needles like a champ, and then we had a situation in the ER um, where I guess the nurse there was new, and she was trying to get a blood draw, and she couldn't get it, and she stabbed like 11 times. Um, so at that point, I was... Um, dragon lady um, <laughs> um, but still remembering that they have my child in their hands so I got to be nice um, I immediately got on the cell phone called upstairs to Hemoc and I was like somebody need to come down here draw his blood and show them how to do it because they not stabbing him one more time um, so I just think in terms of hematology oncology clinic just making sure that those that are not in the clinic can give our kids the care they need as well um, and listen to us because um, one thing I did tell them is he has rolling veins and clotting blood. So that right there tells you if you're not well versed in giving the IVs, don't touch them. Um, so that's just one thing that I can say. And one thing Jonathan had said in the video is it's okay not to know. It's okay to ask questions. It's, it's okay to say which vein is good. And we're all, we're in this together and we're learning together. And another thing. Um, keep up, um, keep up on their charts because Sayer had came in to the hospital 
and they didn't know what to give them. And upstairs in hematology, they had in their charts that they're supposed to give him a certain amount of pain medicine, and the ER didn't know that. So between the ER and hematology, I think you guys could communicate a little bit more. So you bring up a great point, and we have a whole initiative of individualized pain plans for every single patient with sickle cell and it, it took us a while to figure out where in the electronic chart it could go so that it would be seen by everyone but that's one of our um, things we've been working on so every single patient has a pain plan with their uh, different medications and what they're supposed to get and it's accessible to all the other all the departments because of issues that have happened in the past Um, I'm Brandon's dad, and a lot of times when you're supposed to stand up when you talk this. <laughs> <laughs> and several times when um, Brandon came in while he was at CCMC, and it still happens now when he's at um, UConn. <laughs> the transition from the ER mm. to upstairs it always seems like there's a problem with getting the correct, getting the medication quick enough. So during that lag, when he seems to be doing better in ER, and then it takes sometimes an hour to get the the um, medication started. You know, it seems like the, he regresses. So if there's a way that that um, transition from ER to upstairs can be done where the medication flows continuously or, or is quicker, that's something that um, we should look at. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, to streamline and not lag in, in care when there's a transition from one area to the other in the hospital. Brandon, you want to talk about penicillin prophylaxis? <laughs> I always think this is the cutest when he's <laughs> he didn't like the taste no never did um, but just to you know piggyback on what everybody is saying um, you know I think uh, I used to hate going to the ER um, when I when I first started coming because um, I, I feel like the the team that is in the hematology oncology clinic, um, I felt like they were a part of my family as well. Um, and I didn't have to say not one word and my team would know exactly what was wrong and exactly what to do. And, you know, everything was like, boom, 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 let's get this done and let's get you home or let's get you upstairs. Um, so I think, you know, we have made improvements with the ER. Um, in terms of, you know, communication between hematology and the ER. Um, when I was still here as a patient, I know Dr. Borokov and the rest of the doctors used to come and see me downstairs in the ER um, and do my admission down there. And by the time I got upstairs, you know, something was there waiting for me so that I wouldn't, you know, be in so much pain. But I do think um, improvements have been made. Um, we can continue to make improvements as 
you know, the families up here can attest to. Um, but I definitely think that the hematology clinic should be the forefront of all training in regards to sickle cell um, for the entire organization. Um, so I think, you know, the team that we have at the hematology clinic is a great learning vessel. Um, and if we can utilize them to teach the rest of the hospital um, how to treat sickle cell and how to communicate with patients with sickle cell, I think that's the way to go. I have a question for the mom. I hope you can hear me. Uh, the mom whose daughter went to college. Uh, my daughter goes to uh, Loyola University in New Orleans. And that was disastrous for me. Like, it's so far away and it's my baby. I can't even imagine sending your child away and trying to make sure everything is in place medically. I mean, I was trying to figure out just the basics of college in terms of like meal plan, all that stuff. And I'm, I'm trying to wonder if, you know, first of all, if your child went far, do you have like a portable treatment plan that you could send with her? Because if you have internal issues with an electronic medical record just in the state, because you're here at CCMC and you probably have the same medical record with Hartford Hospital or UConn, so you can like work on that transition uh, seamlessly, but if you go to an out-of-state hospital or an out-of-state clinic or uh, infirmary at the college, I'm just trying to think of how you were able to get those people on the same page to be able to treat your child because the pressure and stress of college alone, I can't imagine how that would possibly trigger crises and how do you deal with it far away, like in another state, for example? So. It didn't go very well. <laughs> we did everything right. She went to Clark Atlanta University in Georgia. That was where she wanted to go to school and it was difficult, but I agreed. We went down because Clark is next to Grady Memorial Hospital, which has a sickle cell center. So I said, yay, this is gonna work. You're five minutes from the hospital. We did everything. Heather did a nice pain plan for her. Nancy do, did all the letters for the disabilities office. I went down, I flew down on several occasions, met with them, got everything situated or so I thought. So she got sick, first crisis a year in and she went to Grady and she went in through the sickle cell clinic and that went well, that doctor in the clinic called me, it was a Sunday, he told me what they were gonna do, everything sounded right. I said, okay, I could take my time getting to Atlanta because now I have to go to Atlanta. Monday, I get a call from the nurse, does your daughter have psychiatric problems? I said, Daniel Pink, February 17, 1997, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she said, well, she's hallucinating. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know who she is. I said, I'll be right there. She goes, oh, you're in Atlanta. I said, no, I'm in Connecticut, but I'll be right there. So long and short of it, I flew down. It was a horrible experience. She was in the ICU for 17 days in Atlanta. The treatment was horrible. It's a trauma hospital. They do great with trauma at Grady, but the inpatient 
treatment was horrible. They kept giving her the wrong medication. She had a reaction to morphine. They didn't have diluted IV. It was just everything that you could imagine that could go wrong kind of went wrong. So she came home. She came home and she hasn't gone back to college, but now she is moving again. Yeah, you see, I'm bald, right? So um, <laughs> she came home and we're doing great. We went back to CCMC because that's family, right? That's where we feel safe. And then she turned 22 and she can no longer go to CCMC. So then we had to transition to Yukon. Oh my God. <laughs> ah, I tell you. So we, we've transitioned. <laughs> we have transitioned, but that was also hard because for some reason systems don't seem to communicate in healthcare. And I'm a nurse. I'm familiar with systems just don't communicate. Because systems don't communicate, people do. So communication is really critical. So what has happened, she came home, we're trying to get stable and decide again, we're gonna go back to college. But then she decides she really wants to live in Atlanta because Connecticut is really hard for her in the winter. She suffers with depression and anxiety and the winter doesn't help because she can't go outside. She, she spends a lot of time alone in her room because her friends are out partying or doing whatever. So we're going to Yukon, we're trying to work things out and she got sick. And we went to the emergency room five times, five times. The last time we went, the ED doctor said, you guys again, I said, yes, and we're not leaving this time. We're not leving, something is wrong. When a patient or a sickle cell parent says to you something is wrong, something is wrong. We mightn't be able to tell you what's wrong, we just know that something is wrong. So this was three months ago, and it's something that was wrong. She ended up in a medically induced coma, an event, because something was wrong. And we were ignored in the emergency room. I'm saying all this to say to mom over there, she survived. Yes, thank God, she survived and then decided she wants to move. So Dr. Under Miriam, I absolutely love her. Yes, transition was hard, but I love her. And she said to me, Donette, the worst thing that could happen happened while she was at home and you were doing everything you were supposed to do. Do not allow sickle cell to dictate her life. We will help her to get all that she needs in place and she can move. So we're in that process. And she got her connected with the Sickle Cell Foundation in Atlanta, which was good. She's not gonna go to Grady Memorial Hospital because it was a bad experience. So she's working with doctors at Emory and this is all good. It's good for her, she's advocating for herself, she's doing it while she's well, so that when she's sick, they already know who she is. And guess what, mom's moving too. <laughs> So our time is up. Thank you so much to everyone, our participants and everyone who